Thank you, Brother Hester, and certainly good to be together once again on the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day. What a blessing it is. After a few days of some rather torrential rains every now and then, it's good to wake up to sunshine uh, this morning. We'll be focusing generally on the second coming of Jesus uh, today. Appreciate that good song just we're involved in. That's a great subject in and of itself, isn't it? The great coming of Jesus, that, that time we'll meet Him in the air. John 14, 1-3, Jesus says, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What a great thought. John follows up on this in 1 John 3 and verse 3. He says, when Jesus appears, we shall be like Him. And we will see Him even as He is. But when Jesus comes, and we're going to focus more in a narrow way this morning, when Jesus comes, the wrath of God will come. And that will be our focus this morning. When Jesus comes, the wrath of God will come. And our our passage to begin with, and you'll see this, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 9 and 10, you'll see why these two things connect. Second coming and the wrath of God. You'll see it right here in 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 9 and 10. It had been reported among many how that the Thessalonians had received the gospel. And then Paul mentions this, and then notice verses 9 and 10 in the first chapter. He says, how that you Thessalonians, you turn to God from idols to serve the true and living God and to wait for His Son from heaven, even the one He raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. See that? So we're waiting right now for Jesus to come. And He is the one who can deliver us from the wrath uh, to come. So we'll focus on the wrath of God for just a few minutes this morning, before we get anywhere, before we go any further, I want us to understand the wrath of God can be avoided. It must be av- avoided. We don't have to come face to face with the wrath of God, and that's because of our Lord Jesus, who gave Himself up for us, as you know. These very people Paul's talking to here in Thessalonica, they are able to avoid the wrath of God because the gospel had gone into the their regions. If you back up in chapter 1 and look at verses 5 and 6, 7 and 8, you'll see the gospel had come into the regions and they had received that gospel. They had turned from their vain ways. They had turned from idols to God. The New Testament teaches when you turn from your vain ways, you also are baptized in water for the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. This is what had happened to these people. And so they're in a good situation where they can avoid the wrath of God if they'll remain faithful all the way uh, to the end. You see, God is on our side. God is for us. He's not against us. And if we just step back for a moment and think, He is so much uh, in, in favor of us. Think about all He has done. He's created us. But He has set in motion the events of history that has brought His Son to the earth, to live and die in our behalf, to leave us a good example, but to die and to be resurrected 
and to leave us His will. He has done all that needs to be done. And on top of all that, He is long-suffering toward us. He's patient with us. He gives us opportunity after opportunity to avoid the wrath of God. It can be avoided. But let's notice five things about the wrath of God because we've got to study it. It is a big part of of who God uh, is. First of all, uh, God's wrath is real. It's real. It's not a fantasy. It's not make-believe. It's not science fiction. It's not something that has been created by man to fill in our weaknesses. Nothing like that. God's wrath is real. In your Bibles, Hebrews 10.31. Hebrews chapter 10.31. Remember the Apostle's statement there in Hebrews 10.31. It is a fearful thing. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, it's not fearful if we're walking with Him. It's not fearful if we're in submission to Him. I remember, and you do too, when Jesus was dying on the cross, He's hanging on the cross, He prayed this prayer. And He was quoting from Psalm 31, verse 5, but He prays this prayer. He says, Father, Father, into Your hands I commit my spirit. You see, the hands of God are wonderful, wonderful. Uh, as we live for Him. But if we're unprepared, if we're outside of Christ, if we're living more for Satan than we are anything else, then it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. From there you might look at Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, where Jesus speaks of the wrath of God. He says in verse 4, Luke 12, verse 4, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that they have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power, has authority to cast into hell. See, the wrath of God is real. We remember that God did not spare the angels that sinned. 2 Peter 2 verse 4. We remember that God did not spare the ancient world in Noah's day. 2 Peter 2 verse 5. We remember from 2 Peter 2 verse 6 that God turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. what it says. Into ashes. From our study of worship last week, we noticed that God took the lives of Nadab and Abihu because they were not careful in their worship to God. He sent fire and and destroyed them. We remember from Acts chapter 5 that the Ananias and Sapphira, they were were destroyed by God because they were not honest uh, in His sight. We can cite example after example to, to remind us that the wrath of God is real. To be careless with our soul is very dangerous. Someone has illustrated it like this. Think about a person who is outside of Christ. Their their feet are dangling just above the fires of hell. And you might compare it, if if you could just picture, you might have even pictured this before. Have you ever seen a, a spider on a spider web 
and the web is just above the flames of, of a campfire, and any wrong move with that web, that spider is going down into the flames. Well, a, a person who is, is careless with their soul is sort of in that predic- predicament, aren't they? See, it's real. If you go back to Leviticus and you look at the time when Nadab and Abihu lost their lives, look what God said to Moses. Leviticus 10 verse 3. Look what God said to Moses about this. This is interesting. Leviticus 10 verse 3. God said to Moses, tell the people. You tell the people. Now this is right after God has taken the lives of Nadab and Abihu. You tell the people, I will be sanctified among those who draw near to me. And among all the people, I will be glorified. And that's the purpose of the wrath of God. For us to sanctify Him in our hearts. And that ultimately He will be glorified among all people. The wrath of God is real. Secondly, the the wrath of God has been revealed. Turning over to Romans 1, 16. The the wrath of God has been revealed. Now Romans 1, 16 is basically the thesis... It's, it, it sums up what the book of Romans is all about. Romans 1.16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But keep reading. Keep reading. Romans 1.17, Paul says, something has been revealed in the gospel. Romans 1.17 says, therein is revealed the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. So we can look into the gospel and we can learn a lot of crucial ideals about our God. But also, we can learn about how God wants to make us right with Him. How we must respond and submit to the will of God. Turn from vain things. Turn from idols. Turn from sin. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And we can learn all that we need to know about how to be right with God. So therein is revealed the righteousness of God. But that's not all that's revealed in the gospel. Keep reading Romans 1 verse 18. Here we are. Romans 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. Stop right there. You see, the wrath of God has been revealed uh, in the gospel. In the gospel. In fact, the very middle of the gospel, the very core of the gospel, the very central ideal of the gospel is the cross. And you can see both the goodness and severity of God in the cross, can't you? Can't you? Now, I want, I want us to turn over and notice Hebrews 2, verse 9 together. But when we are observing communion, when we are thinking about the cross, of course, we're going to be thinking about how loving, merciful, patient, and gracious the Lord is to us. All of those thoughts. But we also cannot miss the wrath of God. Because the cross is not just a symbol. It's not, it's not just It's not just a history of the grace of God. It's a history of the suffering of Christ. 
Because He is bearing our sins. He is taking on us the punishment due us, the wrath of God. Hebrews 2 verse 9 says, Jesus Christ, because of the suffering of death, and because of the grace of God, tasted death for every man. Notice both things in there. The grace of God, yes. The suffering of death, yes. It had to be done because God is both good and severe. You see, the wrath of God is revealed uh, to us. Now, going back there to Romans 1, verse 18. Paul says, he says, For the unrighteousness of man suppresses the truth. Isn't that the case? For the unrighteousness and the ungodliness of man suppresses or holds down, holds down the truth. Holds down the truth. I remember when I was little playing with the Jack in the Box and loving that tune and turning that handle and little Jack is going to come out of that box. But I knew when he was going to come out, I would hold him down. I would hold his little head down until I got ready and I was doing some other imaginary things as I held his... I held, I had my G.I. Joe on the one hand. I had my Batman in my other hand. I had the Jack and Box. And so I was doing a lot of creative things. But I was holding his head down until I got ready for him to come out. That's what ungodliness in the world does. It suppresses the truth. And we see it all around us. We see it. People are walking around thinking that changing your gender is okay. Because people are saying it's okay. But we know from Scripture that male and female He made them, Matthew 19, 4 and 5. People are walking around thinking it's okay for those of the same gender uh, to be married. But we know better than that. We know better than that. But you see how that the ungodliness of the world suppresses the truth. People look at the issue, the evil really, of abortion. And they, they hear people debate it and they say, well, if people debate it, then it must not be that big of a thing and so therefore I'm not going to have much of a thought about it. But we know the truth, how much of an evil it is from Scripture. But you see how that the more ungodliness there, there is in the land, the more it suppresses the truth. We know that we've already mentioned how that baptism is for the remission of sins. But because men write books and because... Men create videos. And because men do speeches. Because men have their entertainment venues. Then they will spread the word that, you know, that baptism is just a symbol of something that a salvation has already happened in your heart. That's not even close to what the Bible says. The Bible clearly says it's for salvation. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved, Mark 16, verse 16. But you see how the ungodliness... The unrighteousness of man, the error, the falsehood of men. And it, it, it's everywhere and it suppresses the truth. It suppresses the truth. For us, that means one thing. It means we cannot participate in ungodliness or falsehood. As a Christian living for Jesus Christ, we have great potential for good. But as a Christian living for Jesus Christ, we have great potential for harm. No one has potential to suppress the truth greater than those who profess to follow Christ. If we just choose 
not to come to worship assembly time, there's going to be somebody who knows that we chose not to do that. And in their minds, they're going to say, well, that doesn't really mean as much to them as they claim it does. Okay. Therefore, I'll just decide that it doesn't mean near as much to me as either, as, uh, either, as well. And so for us, we must make sure that in any regard, whether it be attendance at worship or any kind of actions or habits we create, we must remain godly because if we, if we fail, then the truth will be suppressed. We will, we will hold down the truth. And for us also, we need to remember we've got to fight back. We must fight back. There's a lot of suppression of the truth. More and more, more and more. I used to hear older teachers and preachers say more and more, and I, I thought in my mind, well, there's, there, there was evil in Paul's day, and there's evil, there was evil in your day, there's evil now. Why are you saying more and more? But, but they're right. They were right. Because there's more and more people. And there's more, there's more, as there are more and more people, there's more and more evil. So we are outnumbered. And we are overwhelmed. We must speak up. We must fight back at every opportunity. So the wrath of God has been revealed. And then in the third place, please be turning your Bible over to Colossians 3. Colossians 3. The wrath of God is reserved for certain ones. And you'll see this in Colossians 3. Colossians 3. And then we're going to jump back to Ephesians 5. But here we go. Colossians 3, beginning in verse 5. Colossians 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly among you, such as fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, notice this, on account of these, Colossians 3, verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming. Now notice a similar passage from Ephesians chapter 5, this time beginning in verse 3, Ephesians 5 verse 3. But fornication and impurity and covetousness, covetousness must not even be named among you which is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish uh, talking, nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Verse 5, Ephesians 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is, who is a fornicator or impure or who is covetousness, which is, which is idolatry, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God, there it is, Ephesians 5 verse 6, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. See, the wrath of God is reserved for certain ones. Call here the sons of disobedience or children of disobedience. Okay. Now you, you notice this list here. Let's, let's do a takeaway. One thing we can take away is notice this list. This list is not meant to be exhaustive, but representative. In other words, Paul is saying anything done against the will of God brings the wrath of God. That's what Paul is saying. Anything done against the will of God brings the wrath of God. All right. Now notice, Paul is not talking about someone who is submitting to Christ, who's studying their Bibles, who's sharing 
their means, who's sharing the gospel, who's worshiping God faithfully, and then occasionally uh, falls down and sins and gets back up. He's not talking about that kind of person. He's talking about someone who has given their lives to disobedience. That's why they're called here the children of or the sons of disobedience. These folks who, upon whom the wrath of God will come, they have made it their practice. They have made it their habits to be people of disobedience. The wrath of God is reserved for them. Children of disobedience. Remember over in, over in Acts 4.36 that Barnabas is called what? He's called the son of encouragement. He's called the son of encouragement because he's made it his life to encourage people through living for Christ. Sons of disobedience. Children of wrath have made it their aim. They have just let their lives go toward the world, toward disobedience, uh, toward Jesus. And so when we look here, we see that the wrath of God is reserved for certain ones. Certain ones. And it's not an exhaustive list, but it is representative. And we see here it's not someone who occasionally stumbles and falls, but someone who has made it a long practice Ephesians 2 verse 3 says, People by nature become the children of wrath. Ephesians 2 verse 3. By nature they become children of wrath. And then before we leave this context, notice in Ephesians 5 6, Paul says, Let no one deceive you with vain words. Vain words. There are some religious teachers who will never touch the wrath of God. Punishment and consequences will never come out of their mouth. Even though it's a huge part of the gospel of Jesus, it would, they would ne- now I don't relish it. And I think I could speak for brother, brother Larry over here. We don't relish speaking you know, about how that there are consequences for not living for Christ, but it's such a part of the gospel, we must, we must explain it, we must emphasize it from time to time. But there are some teachers... Who, who, who stay way away from it. I've heard interviews of, of the guy on TV, Joel Osteen, and he says, he says he will not talk about punishment. He says he always uses three words, hope, healing, and hang-ups. That's basically his lesson. Help, help people hope, help people heal, and help people get over their hang-ups. There are some teachers of the Bible, it, their main goal is to, to make sad people happy and to make poor people wealthy and to make insecure people confident. Okay. I'm not against any of those things happening to somebody. That's not the gospel. That's not the full gospel. And Paul's saying, don't be deceived by vain words. In other words, there were teachers then as they are now who would come in and be all fluffy with you. And, and, and focus on how that all is good. All is good. It's not a new thing. Even if you go back to Isaiah and Jeremiah's day, when they would say, look, there is, there's captivity coming. There was a group of teachers who were saying, look, peace, peace. Our God is God of, God of peace. He's not going to allow us to, allow it to happen. But eventually it did. And so we see here the wrath of God is reserved for certain ones. It's real. It's been revealed in Scripture, in the Gospel, and it's reserved for certain 
uh, ones. And as we press on here, let's notice that the wrath of God, and we, we all admit it, without Christ, we're doomed. The wrath of God is very much deserved. Deserved. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. That's what, that's what we deserve. The wages of sin is death. We're going to look at a passage or two in the book of Romans to think about this. Before we get there, I want to remind you of what Paul said in Acts 13, verse 46, I believe it is. He, he had been teaching, preaching among the Jewish synagogues, and, and many of them had been so hard-hearted and had caused much violence and trouble. He looked to them and he said, Since you are thrusting away, since you are throwing the gospel away from you, we're now turning to the Gentiles. And he said to those Jews, he says, You have judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life. If someone ends up in the flames of hell, it won't be because they had to go there. It'll be because they, they chose to go there. Notice how Paul says, you have judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life. You've had this opportunity, you've had that opportunity, and you've continued with a hard heart. Now we're going to the Gentiles. Now right here in Romans chapter 2, first of all, notice verse 5 with me. Paul says, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, You are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. That's Romans 2, 5. See that? By our choices, by our habits, we are are really, we are creating uh, the life that is ahead of us. Will it be a storing up of wrath on the day of wrath or will it be laying up a good foundation? In heaven. From there, jump over to Romans 9 and verse 22. We're at the end of that verse. Paul says, There are some who make themselves vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. Vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. The word fitted there is interesting. It means really to prepare yourself for destruction. Prepare yourself for destruction. We think about, usually around wedding time, we're going to go get fitted for a suit of clothes, we're fitted for shoes. Okay. By our choices, by, by our daily habits, by our, our big decisions in life, we are really fitting ourselves either for eternal life with God or destruction that would follow. And so we see here the wrath of God is deserved if we do not follow our Lord Jesus. And then finally this morning, the wrath of God is exclusive to God. This is huge. Wrath of God belongs only to God. Only to God. You remember when David confessed his sin, Psalm 51, verse 4. He, he said it this way. He said, God, against Thee and Thee only have I sinned. And it's kind of unusual for a second because you think, well, he sinned against a lot of people. He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah, the Hittite. 
He sinned against his own body. First Corinthians six says fornication is a sin against your own body. Sin against himself. He sinned against the nation. Okay. His fellow soldiers. He sinned. Why did he say against thee, thee only have I sinned? Because sin is a violation of who God is. There's only one who is perfectly holy. And that is our God. All sin is ultimately against God. It's a violation of who God is. David understood that. He understood what he had done. He had, he had offended God, the creator of the universe, and he was asking for forgiveness from him. We remember in Romans 12, 18, 19, 20, that Paul teaches us about God. He says, Avenge not yourselves, for God has written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And Paul teaches us, Give place to the wrath of God. It is, it is not our place to hand out judgment. It is not our place to hand out wrath toward others. We're not qualified to do that. So if someone mistreats me, or if someone just bugs me, or someone just is irritating toward you, then you have no right to step into the judgment seat of Christ and begin to treat that person differently as if you were some standard yourself. You have no right to ignore someone or avoid someone just because you don't like the way a situation is. No, we've received our command from Christ, Matthew 7, verse 12. Whatsoever you would that men should do to you, you do also to them. You treat them with all the love that Christ has put in your heart. Okay. We don't hand out vengeance. We don't, we don't do judgments on people. That is, that is God's place. We do not step into His arena. See, it's exclusively God's. And so just these five things about the wrath of God perhaps can help us to come to the same conclusion that God wants us to. That He should be sanctified among us. And that He should be glorified. It's all about Him. And it's not about any of us. But we begin by saying, and we will reiterate, that the wrath of God not only can be avoided, it must be avoided. And the only way through that, the only way to that possibility is through our Lord Jesus. Can we help you this morning? Please make your wants and wishes known right now as we stand together, as we sing.